Today, we continue in our series, World and Church. Before we get into our primary text, I'd like to go back just a few chapters to set the stage for what's to come. When we look earlier in 1 Samuel chapter 9 and chapter 10, Saul is chosen as Israel's first human king, and he's anointed with oil. Then in chapter 10, verse 6, it said, Samuel tells Saul, the spirit of the Lord will come powerfully upon you. Literally, the spirit of the Lord will be thrust upon you. And it says this, and you will prophesy with the prophets, and then this is key, and you will, will be changed into a different person. Then in chapter 10, verse 9, we are told God changed Saul's heart. What a transformation. The Holy Spirit came upon Saul, gave him new thoughts, new emotions, new strength, new leadership capabilities. God made a new Saul to lead Israel in following God. Now, having been remade into a new man by God, will Saul live as the, the new man God transformed him to be? That will be the test. The new Saul is first tested in 1 Samuel chapter 11. Here, Saul faces the Amorites, an enemy so great that Israel cries out in terror. So what will Saul do? Well, he hears their fear, and Saul takes the lead, and he motivates Israel to, feel, to fear God more than the Amorites. And Israel responds to Saul, and they rally together. In fact, 331,000 troops. And as a united army, they defeat the Ammonites. So far, so good. Saul follows the heart of God. In fact, he celebrates the victory by uh, the victory by saying and giving God credit. Now jump ahead to 1 Samuel chapter 13. Now, a scrawny Israelite army of 3,000 faces an army of Philistines more numerous than the sands of the seashore. Samuel tells Saul not to do anything but to wait seven days for Samuel to arrive with God's plan for victory over the Philistines. The seventh day arrives, and from the story, it almost appears that the morning of the seventh day, it comes and it goes, no Samuel. The afternoon comes and goes, no Samuel. Early evening comes and goes, no Samuel. The more they wait, the greater the fear Israel army, Israel's army feels towards the Philistines. In fact, Israel fears the Philistines more than they fear God, causing 80% of Israel's soldiers to run away, leaving Saul with only 600 fighting men. How will Saul handle this test? Now, we don't really need to guess what Saul should do. We already know. Because in faith, Saul should lead as Gideon did in Judges chapter 7. Remember that story? God whittled down Gideon's army to 300, and God led them in defeating an army as numerous as locusts, Judges chapter 7, verse 12. So Saul's test is this. Will he have the faith of Gideon in defeating the Philistines? Well, let's see. Turn in your Bibles, if you will, to 1 Samuel chapter 13, verses 7 to 9. It says, Saul remained at Gilgal, and all the truth, troops with him were quaking with fear. He waited seven days, and the time set by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and Saul's men began to scatter. 
So he said, bring me the burnt offering and the fellowship offerings. Notice what happens. Instead of waiting for Samuel, Saul commands that the sacrificial offerings be burned right then and there without Samuel. You see, Saul thinks that God will bless him with victory despite his defiant disobedience. Well, as the second offering is prepared for sacrifice, guess who shows up? Mm -hmm. Samuel. And he says in chapter 13, verse 10, what have you done? Uh Uh-oh. Saul's been caught in his disobedience. So what will Saul do? This will tell us a lot about his heart. In fact, instead of accepting responsibility and repenting of his sin, Saul makes excuses for his disobedience. Just look at verses 11 and 12. He blames the people for scattering. He blames Samuel for taking so long. He blames the Philistines for threatening war. And here's the funniest part. He then says that he had to force himself to disobey Samuel. Go figure. So basically, Saul is saying, hey, none of this is my fault. Well, that's not exactly how Samuel sees it. Look at chapter 13, verse 13. You have done an idiotic thing, Samuel said. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. If you had... God would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. If Saul no longer intends to follow God, God must appoint a new king. And this is where we pick up the story. With Israel falling apart under Saul's leadership, I want you to see how this affects Samuel and God. Turn in your Bibles to chapter 15, verses 34 to 35. Samuel, 1 Samuel 15, 34 to 35. Then Samuel left for Ramah, but Saul went up to his home in Gibeah of Saul. Until the day Samuel died, Saul, he did not see, go see Saul again, though Samuel mourned for him. And the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. Did you catch that? Samuel mourned. God regretted that Saul was made king. You see, both of these words describe a mourning over the death of a person. Now, when when the Bible gives God human qualities, it's what's called anthropomorphism. Uh, The inspired writers of scripture would use words that humans could understand, words that humans could relate to in describing God. So God isn't admitting a mistake. He's not saying, wow, I didn't see that coming. Boy, did I make a mistake. No, God is expressing a deep sorrow, a sorrow over Saul's failure as king. God can look at Saul and say, I'm grieved. I'm grieved that you have sinned. It's time to find another king. Now, there's a challenge here for us. Saul lost his intention to follow God, and that's what grieves God. Now, what I mean by intention here is not an empty hope where we say, well, I really hope I please God today. No, that's wishful hoping. That's not intention. See, I run, and as one who runs, wishful hoping would be me waking up at 5.30 in the morning and thinking, Man, I hope I get out of bed and go for a run today. That's not intention, is it? 
No, intention as a runner is to set my running clothes and my shoes out the night before. Intention is getting out of bed when the alarm goes off, putting on my running gear, and then getting out of out the front door. That is intention. You see, intention is having purpose in the actions. In first, uh, excuse me, in Ephesians chapter five, verses one, eight, and ten, it says this. Be imitators of God, therefore as dearly loved children. Live as children of light and find out what pleases the Lord. That is what it means to live with intention in the Christian life every day. Our purpose is to live to please God. You see, intention isn't about being perfect. Even though we will fail, our intent can still be to please God. It's when we no longer intend to please God. That is when God's heart is grieved. That is when God's heart mourns. So ask yourself this question. Is my intent, is my purpose to daily live to please God? Think about that. Let's go back to our text. Samuel has a heavy heart for Saul, but God doesn't allow him to stay like that for very long. In fact, right away in chapter 16, God gives Samuel a new mission. Look at chapter 16, verse 1. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king, Bethlehem. As Christians, what do we immediately think of when we hear Bethlehem? Christmas, right? The birthplace of Jesus. Now today, Bethlehem has a good reputation. It is a tourist destination in Israel. But that wasn't always the case. You see, when God tells Samuel to go to Bethlehem, I don't think Samuel was very excited to do that. In fact, he was likely confused. Samuel was probably asking himself, God, do you really know what kind of king is likely to come out of Bethlehem? Not a good one. Why would he think that? It's because at the time of Samuel, Bethlehem had a spotty reputation, a negative reputation. If you go back a few books to the book of Judges, we find one of the most gruesome, darkest stories in the Bible, and it happened in Bethlehem. All you have to do is go to Judges chapter 19, and there's this unnamed woman who is a concubine. She is gang raped, then she is cut into 12 pieces, and all we know about her is that she was a daughter of Bethlehem. Well, as travelers passed by Bethlehem, they would likely say, huh, Bethlehem, isn't that the place where that woman was murdered? That is the Bethlehem that God sends Samuel to find the next king of Israel. So he must be scratching his head. Well, Samuel shows up and sure enough, things don't start well. Look what it says in chapter 16, verses two to four. But Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears about it, He's going to kill me. And the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. Samuel did what the Lord said. And when he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. 
they asked, do you come in peace? Now the elders of Bethlehem, they were afraid Samuel had come to call down judgment upon them, to call judgment down upon Bethlehem and her people. Well, what are Samuel's intentions in coming to Bethlehem? Instead of judgment, Samuel comes to prepare God's people for God to come into their midst and take action in choosing Israel's next king. He offers a sacrifice, cleanses them, and look what happens in verses 6 to 7. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab. Now, this is David's oldest brother. And he thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. Now, an interesting fact here. When this story was translated from Hebrew into Greek before the time of Christ, the word the Greek scribes used for the Hebrew word anointed was Christ. So when the Greeks heard this story read in their own language, they would hear Samuel say this, this is the Lord's Christ. You see, even Samuel sees Eliab's appearance as being Christ-like. Well, let's get back to the story. Let's see if Samuel is right. Look at verse 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the excuse me, the Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord, the Lord looks at the heart. In this one verse, the word appearance or look, it occurs five times. You see, initially Samuel uses his natural instincts to see who looks spiritual. But then Samuel realizes his mistake and he chooses to listen to God instead of look at appearances. It is Samuel's desire for God's instruction to guide his actions. And so he listens for God. Samuel and God have quite the conversation. We see it in verses 8 through 10. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, The Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shammah pass by. But Samuel said, Nor has the Lord chosen this one. Can you almost hear God whispering in, in Samuel's ear? Verse 10, Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. Now, by this time, Samuel must be confused. Seven sons pass by him and none are chosen to be king. None are usable by God. Why did God bring Samuel to Bethlehem if none of Jesse's seven sons are going to be king? And though he is confused, what does Samuel do? I love his heart. He keeps listening to God. And God finally answers. Samuel asks Jesse, are these all the sons you have? And Jesse says, no, there's the youngest son, the baby of the family. Uh, but I didn't think he was important enough to bring to the feast. And then Samuel commands, send, send someone to go get your youngest son out in the fields watching the sheep. We will not sit down around the table to eat until he gets here. Well, here's what happened. Look at verse 12. So he sent for him and had him brought in. David was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and, a ha and handsome features. 
Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. In verse 12, what do you find surprising? All of verse 12, all verse 12 does is describe David's looks. It says David is a good-looking young man. He looks like a hero. Ironic, isn't it? God has just rebuked Samuel for looking on the outward appearance. So what's going on here? Well, remember what we said earlier back in 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 14. Samuel told Saul what God was going to do. God said that the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. David's looks are described to the reader. But since God chose David, we know the kind of heart David possesses. David is a man whose heart loves the Lord deeply. Uh, for David to have such a title, it may cause you to scratch your head and ask, how? How could David, one who committed terrible sins, how could he be given the title of having God's heart? I think, I think it is as much for what David did in his failures than what he did in his successes. Let me explain. In the book of Samuel, David will often fail. He will be guilty of adultery, guilty of murder, lying. Uh, he has a point where he's full of pride and he struggles to lead his family well. However, unlike Saul, David doesn't blame his sin on his circumstances. He doesn't blame his sin on the pressures of leadership or peer pressure. He doesn't blame his sins on family history. Instead, because his intention is to please God, David owned his sin and he takes his sin to God. Think of the time when Nathan will confront David for his adultery and murder. David quickly laments. He says in 2 Samuel 12, 13, I have sinned against the Lord. Or how about when Joab sends the woman of Tekoa to change David's mind about Absalom? David, the king, listens. There's the time when Joab rebukes David for loving his treacherous son more than his loyal servants. And what does David do? David does what Job, Joab tells him to do, 2 Samuel 19, 1-8. Joab was often wrong in his advice to David, but when he was right, David saw it, and David changed course. Likewise, after his foolish census, David's heart struck him, and he confessed, I have sinned greatly in what I have done, 2 Samuel 24, verse 10. Did you see? Did you see what makes David different from Saul? It is the intent of David's heart to please God. A heart for God is not perfection, but a heart intent on allowing God to make us new. A heart for God is not perfection, but a heart intent on allowing God to make us new. As King David's heart intent is to be transformed by God. Look what happens in verses 12 to 13. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. He is the one. Verse 13. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And here's what it says. And the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. Just like that. There was a change in leadership. 
Now, in case you missed it, follow the Spirit of the Lord in the story. We're told in verse 13, again, I wanted you to see this. From that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. Now, look what else happens in verse 14. But the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. Since Saul lost his intent to follow the Lord, he no longer needs the spirit he was given back in chapter 10. And as the spirit abandons Saul, it leaves his soul, it leaves his spirit terrified, anxious, and paranoid. Through the rest of Samuel, we will see David tested. Will he live by the spirit God has given him? Or will he ignore the leading of God's spirit? Well, we don't have to wait long to see what David decides. In fact, in the very next chapter, chapter 17, though the youngest son of Jesse, not even old enough to be drafted into the Israeli army, we will see David walk into the valley of Elah to face the giant Goliath. As the battle progresses, it will not be David's wisdom that saves him. It will not be his education or his strength or his strategy. David will stand in battle before Goliath with confidence that God will be fighting on his side. David is determined to please God. And that's what the anointing and the coming of the Spirit means. To live daily with the intention to please God. But when we fail, and we will, God simply asks us to stand in his presence as he continues his work of transforming our hearts. Church, may it be your intention to daily please God.